आइडिया ब्रू स्टूडियो प्रेजेंट ऑल इंडियंस मैटर इन डेप्थ दुखी भाइयों और बहनों मुझे कोई पता नहीं है कि सिवाय आपके मुझको कोई भी सुनता है या नहीं ये अनुभव मेरी जिंदगी में मेरे लिए दूसरा है पहला अनुभव इंडन में हुआ था जब मैं राउंड टेबल कॉन्फ्रेंस में गया मुझको पता ही नहीं था तो मुझको इस तरह से कुछ बोलना है मैं तो एक अनजान पुरुष हूँ मैं कोई दिलचस्पी भी नहीं लेता हूँ लेकिन दुख के साथ मिल जाना वो तो मेरा जीवन भर का प्रयत्न है जीवन भर का मेरा पेशा है Hello and welcome to All Indians Matter. I am Ashraf Engineer and this is part 5 of our conversation on Mahatma Gandhi's killing with Tushar Gandhi, great grandson of the Mahatma and president of the Mahatma Gandhi Foundation. He is also the author of the book Let's Kill Gandhi, a chronicle of Gandhi's last days, the conspiracy, murder, investigations and trial. In part 4 we spoke about how the case was bungled and what happened during the trial. In this episode we will discuss the myths that were created around Gandhi's killing many of which are being propagated even today. So sure there are various myths that surrounded the killing of Gandhi first of all and which have later on been sought to be created and even today that effort is continuing. And one of the myths at that time 1948 when he was killed was that Gandhi gifted or forced India to gift Pakistan 55 crore rupees. So what is the truth? of that matter ashraf uh, to justify gandhi's murder a lot of accusations were fabricated post the murder as an afterthought to sort of uh, create an atmosphere that uh, the act of gandhi's murder was a patriotic act and uh, it was unavoidable because of the love for mother india gandhi had to be killed because he was public enemy number 1 of mother india the idea of it and so lots of uh, myths were propagated about it one amongst them was the 55 crores that gandhi supposedly gifted out of his love to pakistan now one must remember that neither in the decision of accepting the partition of india or subsequently to that decision whatever happened gandhi was a party to it gandhi had been discarded by even his political proteges much before that when the when it became a certainty that eventually india would be liberated all his proteges abandoned gandhi was impractical because they realized now they had to make deals come to understandings to win the biggest segment of the pie of the independent pie and the power that would come with it and so nobody was listening to gandhi so the last 3 or 4 years of his life gandhi was abandoned lonely so he wasn't party to the decision to partition india that was taken superseding him if you look at the chronology of how mountbatten sold the partition plan he first convinced sardar patel to accept the plan once sardar patel subscribed to the plan and accepted it mountbatten approached nehru and he told him ke sardar has already accepted why why are you being adamant and so nehru said okay if sardar has already accepted i will also endorse it finally mountbatten went to babu and he said now look you know sardar patel has uh, accepted nehru has expect, accepted which means the whole of congress has accepted it so why are you adamant you know if uh, this is what everybody wants why are you being the obstacle in the path and so it was like a fate accompli don't be the spoiled sport 
now you are alone you know nobody is going to listen to you and so finally bapu resigned into accepting that now comes the question of 55 crores once the partition principle was accepted it is a natural corollary that it just doesn't mean a line on the map where territories are divided a government machinery has to be divided a nation machinery is to be divided so everything that is part of that nation has to be divided according to formulas so you can't you can't say okay this building on janpath goes to pakistan and this building on rajpath goes to india and the viceroy's house goes to pakistan and the parliament house goes to india you can't do that the fixed assets are going to remain in the territories that they are but everything else that can be moved can be divided and so there were committees of both government of pakistan representatives and government of india representatives even before the two entities came into existence the committees were formed and they sat down and divided everything if you read freedom at midnight you will read a chapter in which it says that you know from a government office a desk went to india and the chairs accompanying the desks went to pakistan and then uh, you know the government owned ha- ha- ceremonial chariots the chariot remained with pakistan and uh, or went to pakistan and the horses were given to india so the division was done to that fine level everything was negotiated and uh, they came to a conclusion according to a formula and the division took place now finally the british told them that we have the joint kitty of india and pakistan which we have to hand over to both of you but the two of you would have to sit down and decide the formula of its division who uh, deserves how much of it and so the committee was formed in which gandhi was not there now you must remember that these com- government committees don't have gandhi on it bapu was no nothing in the government the interim government nominated so the finance ministers and the prime ministers and the senior ministers were negotiating with each other till 14th august 1947 when pakistan came into existence they couldn't arrive at a formula to divide the kitty but from the midnight between 13th and 14th of august when pakistan would come into existence they would need some capital no you can't run a country for even a second if you have a zero balance of capital so it was decided that since pakistan was coming into being an ex gratia amount of 20 crores would be uh, given to it so that it could function the government could function from minute one and so 20 crores were given out of the kitty and it was decided that when we finally decide the proportion of the division of that kitty 20 crores would be deducted from pakistan share and the rest would be given to pakistan and finally post partition post the independence of pakistan and india they arrive at a satisfactory formula of the division and according to that division it is uh, decided that uh, 75 crores is pakistan share out of which 20 crores has been given so the balance 55 crores will be given to pakistan now this is an international treaty between the sovereign state of pakistan and the sovereign state of india government of india and the government of pakistan its ministers sign the treaty saying that now india owes pakistan 55 crores and is you know legally bound to part with that amount and after signing that treaty the pakistan government triumphantly announces to its people that you know we have now got this 55 crores from india 
But this is at the time when the incursion into Kashmir has already taken place. The refugee influx into India is happening. And the government of India knows that Pakistan is under behind all this mischief. But in the treaty, there is no condition stipulated that the money will only be paid to Pakistan once all these questions are resolved. But when the Pakistani government announces this their triumph, there's a lot of anger and resentment in India. And the government of India panics, saying, my God, now how do we face our own electorate? You know, we'll, uh, they're all angry with us. And so they said, no, 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 but we will only pay the money when all the questions, including the refugee question and the Kashmir question and everything is resolved. We won't pay without that. The Pakistani government waves the treaty and says, show us where you've mentioned it. You've signed a treaty to give us money when we ask for it. Show us where there the condition states that all the problems have to be resolved. So the government of India says, but this is implied, no? You must understand. But a treaty doesn't work on implied things, no? There is a word of the treaty and you have to go by that word. So when government of India decides, nay, nay, it's an unpopular uh, thing, we will not, we'll say we won't pay you the money till the problem is resolved. There's a faction of the government which says, don't give them the money at all, tell them we use the money to resettle the refugees. And so it's null and void. But if Pakistan took India to court, on this India would lose because there was a treaty. And then also in the circles of diplomacy, if India was to break the first bilateral treaty with the nation, Subsequently, which nation would, you know, trust India's word? And so Mountbatten is uh, faced with that dilemma and he puts it to Bapu. And it so happens that Bapu goes on a fast the day after this is revealed to him. But if you look at his final fast in Delhi, he lays down uh, conditions for him to break the fast. And never, not in any of the conditions he even alludes that I will only break my fast after the government of India pays 55 crores to Pakistan. But now the government of India has an escape route, no? Bapu has declared his fast unto death. And they know that their decision not to pay Pakistan is not sustainable. But they don't have a peg to hang that on. So immediately the day after Bapu goes on the fast, they declare that we'll pay the money. And the next day, the second day of the fast, they give the money to Pakistan and they make the declaration, public declaration, that we have given the money to Pakistan. What that signifies is we gave the money to Pakistan because this old man, ye buddha hamko pareshan karta hai. This old man is troubling us. And the people readily believe that. That's not an official statement, but that's the implication. Is what that's the implication. That's the implication that, uh, you know, what can we do? In recent years, it's been repeated often that Gandhi did nothing to prevent Bhagat Singh from being hanged. It's made out that Gandhi saw in the young revolutionary a rival or that he let Bhagat Singh hang because he committed an act of violence. The reality was very different. There is another charge against Gandhi that uh, he refused to save Bhagat Singh. Again, what is the, what is the story? Here? You see, this whole charge has come about because of the way that scene or that issue was dealt with in the Hindi feature film uh, uh, Bhagat Singh, the great martyr, in which it is implied that when Bhagat Singh was hanged, Gandhi was negotiating with Lord Irwin. 
and he could have saved Bhagat Singh and he didn't save Bhagat Singh and the accusation is made in a way that Bhagat Singh was becoming more popular than Gandhi and Bapu was jealous of it and because he wanted to do away with an adversary he sort of colluded with the British to allow them to murder uh, Bhagat Singh and do away with a opponent that was threatening him and that was very convenient to blame on Bapu because Bapu was not on the scene to challenge it when uh, the film made those accusations. But the fact is that while that negotiation was happening with uh, Lord Irwin, on four occasions there is recorded proof of Bapu pleading with Irwin to commute the death sentence on Bhagat Singh and his associate. And he said that I'm not asking you for a pardon. If you feel that they have committed a crime against you, you're, you're most welcome to punish them. But I feel that the death sentence is unjust. And he said, I'm pleading with you to be magnanimous and commute the death sentence. And if you want, you can uh, uh, give him life sentence and jail him for life. But don't waste a life. He is, he is a very productive youth and we require his services further. And this is verbally conveyed because this was uh, uh, stated by Lord Irwin's aide when he wrote about the minutes of the Gandhi-Irwin Pact and negotiations. And there is documentary evidence of letters that Bapu wrote to Irwin in the collected works itself. Unfortunately, we have become a nation of indoctrinated people. So we don't bother to go and find out the facts for ourselves. If somebody tells us that, then uh, the nation wants to know. And the nation knows that way. We don't bother to go and find out ourselves. Actually, there's also the, the mercy plea that Bhagat Singh's parents submitted to the British, isn't there? The uh, final act, in the final act to save their son, Bhagat Singh's parents uh, appealed to the British government. But Bhagat Singh refused to uh, acknowledge or accept that. So Bhagat Singh rejected the mercy plea. Yes, Bhagat himself. Singh himself. You see, after his arrest, Bhagat Singh refused to defend himself. He accepted his guilt in court and he said, I am proud of what I have done and I am asking you to punish me more severely. The objective of Bhagat Singh was martyrdom. And he believed that his heroic martyrdom would inspire the youth of India to follow in his footsteps and bring about a revolution. And so, even if Bapu had managed to get a pardon for him, I have my doubts whether Bhagat Singh would have accepted that pardon. He would have said, okay, release me from jail, I'll go and murder somebody else or blow up some other uh, British install, uh, installation and come back into jail because I want to become a martyr. He wanted to die. Like Gandhi didn't want to be protected. Bhagat Singh refused to be defended. He had the courage of his conviction. And that is the irony of modern India, that the true martyr does not get his dues while a collaborator is called Swatantravir. Tushar, there is also the infamous Mopla riots. And there is a very famous lie that uh, Gandhi said Hindus should die at the hands of the rioters. Uh, what is the truth there? The truth of the fact is that Bapu was speaking to his followers who had come to complain to him about the Mopla riots and the atrocities on the Hindus. And like during the partition, when his associates and his workers came to him and complained about the atrocities against the Hindus in the Pakistani territories. At both that times, he advised his people, he said, aren't you ashamed of your, the fact that you are alive and you're coming and complaining to me about this? Shouldn't, as my followers, shouldn't you have been dead? 
or shouldn't you have sacrificed your life in protecting the others rather than remaining alive and complaining about the dead so he was putting the responsibility on people who claimed to be his followers now if what could he do if all his followers were hindus he referred to them as that but he never ever said that the victims should be celebrated so just just he to... grieved for them he grieved for the victims of the mopla riots he grieved for the victims of the partition also in the mopla riots after the mopla riots to quell the mopla riots the britishers came down dr- with draconian measures against the moplas and they were persecuted and they were killed and massacred and bapu defended them he said they they are hot blooded people they are misguided people but the reverse barbarity is also not justified and today's hindutvavadis because those moplas were muslims are now claiming that look gandhi went to their defense these were the people who killed our hindu brother and bapu gandhi is defending him gandhi defended the, the moplas against the atrocities being committed by the colonial administration and remember one thing ashraf to gandhi every life lost was human life lost he never asked was the victim a hindu or was the victim a muslim i think just to rephrase what you said you know he never said that hindus should die at the hands of rioters he was addressing his followers uh, admonishing them for not doing more to save uh, the victims what he is essentially saying that if you had been at the forefront saving the victims you would have been the first to die but that's not the case um, there was a rumor just after gandhi had been shot that the shooter was a muslim So what happened immediately after that I mean how was that rumor quelled what was the sequ- what was the sequence of events it was it's very funny the initial plan for bapu's murder uh, when the three of them karkare apte and nathuram met on the evening of the 29th at the old delhi railway station waiting room they started deciding planning for the murder the next day the first plan was that nathuram would pose as a photographer Remember one thing that Badge was also supposed to be a photographer on 20th. So on 30th the first plan was that Nathuram would be a photographer and at that time you used to have those big cameras you know the bulky ones with the cloth draped over the photographer with the tripod and uh, things. So they said you hide under the hood and from under the hood you shoot Gandhi literally fire on him. But then uh, because they knew that the police were supposed to be alert Nathuram said no no they might not allow us to carry that bulky equipment onto the ground so it might not be possible for us to get close to him we'll have to find another way so the next disguise was a burqa they decided that Nathuram would hide himself under a burqa and from within the folds of the burqa he would draw his gun and shoot Gandhi now it was just not a disguise it was also a ruse because if somebody had fired from within a burqa to kill gandhi then everybody would have assumed that it's a muslim because a burqa to even today is uh, associated with only being muslim and so actually they went and bought a burqa from uh, chandni chowk and nathuram tried it on it fitted him but when he tried to walk in a burqa he kept tripping on it and then when inside the burqa he was trying to reach for his gun his hands were getting entangled in the folds and uh, he couldn't uh, he couldn't locate his own pocket and he couldn't draw the gun and aim it and things so after several attempts he said no this is also a no go so finally they decide on a outfit that is neutral which is not religiously specific so it loosely resembles a armed forces uniform loosely very loosely 
and so he buys a shirt and uh, pants and he wears that to the murder and when he is arrested post the murder he does not reveal his identity i told you before that uh, his identity was only revealed about 40 minutes later when anna gadgil identified him he keeps quiet when he is arrested but suddenly there are slogans of musliman ne mara gandhi ko mara bapu ko mian ne mara being raised in the crowd now you must remember apte and karkare were his wingmen they were present at the time of murder very close to him and it is very possible that they were the beginners of that rumor with an agenda given to them that you have to create a, a, a misinformation that the murderer is a muslim and nathuram hides his identity and so the slogans gain ground and uh, as the crowd starts leaving birla house they are starting to raise chants of musalmanon ne gandhi ko mara and let's kill muslims and just then mountbatten arrives at birla house and he hears the first group of people shouting these slogans and he jumps out of his car and shouts at them and says don't you know that it was a hindu who killed him and this is reported in his assistant's memoirs that you know i was shocked where did we didn't know anything about the identity of the murderer and he asks mountbatten as they go into birla house he says sir how did you say this we don't know the identity of the murderer as yet and mountbatten says god save us but if the murderer is a muslim then humanity would not have seen the kind of massacre that will happen that we will be forced to witness and so that is the biggest worry for all of them and it is only at when anna gadgil identifies nathura that he is dragged to sardar patel and nehru and mountbatten and he says yes i know him he's a uh, brahmin from pune and the startling fact is that on that evening it's in the 6 o'clock news bulletin when air announces the murder of gandhi the if you read or you hear the recording of that news broadcast you will be surprised that generally when the such a important thing is announced they will say mahatma gandhi was murdered this evening but the news broadcast of that evening starts with the headline a hindu brahmin shot Mahatma Gandhi Mahatma Gandhi is dead so the murderer's religious identity is revealed before the re- revealing the murder itself it was done with the objective that there should be no doubt left about the religious identity of the murderer and so the uh, the, the 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 accusation is justified that the objective of the murderers was also to create that kind of a misinformation initially to say that a muslim had mar- murdered bapu and just remember just imagine ashraf if nathuram had mastered the burqa and he had shot bapu wearing the burqa i wouldn't have been sitting and talking to you ashraf i wouldn't have even known that you would be a fellow indian today india would have seen an actual religious cleansing in that day what was uh, nehru patel's and mountbatten's reaction when gadgil came and told them that it's not a muslim the it's it's very apparent a really a, a, a feeling of relief why would you think that all india radio would on its own initiative announce the religious identity of the murderer before announcing the murder itself it has to be the instructions were given that the news is not important about the murder the importance is to establish beyond doubt the religious identity of the murderer 
it couldn't have been done on the initiative of the news reader or the news editor the orders would have had to go down from right at top and immediately after that uh, remarkably well pandit ji and sardar patel and mountbatten took charge of everything and controlled all the information and the uh, and, and and the flow of events after that so let me come to one more myth there's been talk and i think particularly in recent times of a fourth bullet this <laughs> <laughs> is a talk of a fourth bullet and uh, there was was there a fourth bullet first of all i mean there, was, there was there was, <laughs> there was you must tell me about it the the fourth bullet you know there was uh, uh, the fourth bullet actually did time travel you must remember the fact that in the kennedy murder there was a magical bullet which is supposed to have turned upon itself and taken circuits and then gone and hit kennedy in defiance of all not been damaged yeah, at all yeah. in defiance of all the laws of physics and science and everything that that bullet actually traveled back in time and went to 1948 and hit bapu but i think the time has come when the chief propagator of this fourth bullet theory must be arrested because he seems to be knowing very surely about the fourth bullet so if he knows about the fourth bullet the only thing possible is he was the one who shot gandhi with the fourth bullet because otherwise there no there's no evidence of the fourth bullet at all so what is the when when somebody says that there's a fourth bullet what are they trying to imply essentially the implication comes from a photograph there is a very publicized photograph of bapu's body lying in state after his death after he was bathed and his body was put out uh, for darshan according to tradition initially his body was covered right up to the neck when his son devdas gandhi saw this he took the chadar and pulled it down to below the chest and he insisted that the gun wounds must be revealed for the people he said that the bullet wounds were like bravery rewards of a non-violent soldier and the world must witness them so when you see those that photograph you see the three bullet wounds on bapu's chest but it's a black and white photograph and now there are fourth generation reproductions of that photograph which you know every time it is reproduced some creative uh, reprint artist feels that you know you need to retouch it and i'll show my artistry and things and the body was uh, you know uh, rose petals were showered on the body so there are rose petals stuck to the body at various points and right close to the three bullet wounds there is a rose petal on bapu's chest which through the generations of reproduction can now be passed off as the fourth bullet wound and you know the two years back there was or last year or two years back there was a appeal in the supreme court to reinvestigate reopen the investigations in the gandhi murder and they claimed that there was a fourth bullet and the fourth bullet was fired and there was a fourth bullet wound on his chest and this photograph was presented and they claimed that some photo forensic expert had opined that that mark was a bullet wound apparent bullet but what is the implication of it so what if there had been a fourth bullet and we know there wasn't but if there had been a fourth bullet what are they trying to imply they are trying to imply that there was a murderer other than nathuram godse and so not they are not trying to save nathuram godse because nathuram godse has been executed unfortunately but then if that theory gains credence then they can claim that even savarkar and rss and hindu mahasabha were not involved and some mystery fourth gunman 
was present in you know there used to be in our childhood you must have also seen it there was there used to be a very hit serial on tv invisible man so the fourth bullet was invisible and the fire, uh, the uh, shooter was also invisible so maybe that invisible man traveled with that time travel bullet magic bullet and came and hit the allegation is that from the time bapu's body was picked up from the murder spot and taken to birla house and the murder was announced the fourth bullet was fired on him because they realized that he wasn't dead and so in birla house the fourth bullet was fired on him and that was the fourth bullet that killed him that means sardar patel pandit nehru pyarelal manu abha devdas gandhi gandhi's own son his family were all murderers because they were there immediately after the murder they were all there with bapu's body so if the fourth bullet was shot then either all of them pulled the trigger or one of them pulled the trigger in the presence of all the others and this this can only come out of a depraved insane and absolutely vicious mindset alleging that maybe they were estranged but they were still loyal followers of bapu you cannot doubt the love and affection that pandit nehru and sardar patel had for bapu and it you know i i i'm filled with rage when it is alleged that devdas gandhi his own blood and flesh could be party to that fantastic theory of the fourth bullet people who are propagating that it should be ashamed of them maybe they had murderous thoughts about their fathers and their parents that's why this this viciousness is coming up so that brings us to the question really tushar is that why is it that consistently we know what god say thought what god say believed in uh, you know the abuse that was heaped on gandhi is is you know turatma for example and things like that but myths like the 55 crore myth that we spoke about earlier persist the truth about those things are not really as well known why why is that ashraf my book was born out of this rage against this disinformation campaign let's kill gandhi and it addresses all these issues it it is the it, it is born out of the rage that bubbles inside me which troubles me as to the allegations there's a whole industry like there's a whole conspiracy industry in the gandhi murder there is a entire misinformation industry in the gandhi murder every few years they come up with a new justification and things it is the process see they, they have deified savarkar savarkar's portrait now hangs in the parliament so half of his uh, you know his uh, uh, the abandonment that he happened after gandhi's murder has been done he's any time modi could make him a bharat ratna that is the ambition once that is done which is the other deity they have to uh, reinstate deshbhakt nathuram godse and deshbhakt and pandit have already been associated with him he is referred to as deshbhakt and pandit even the mp refers to him as deshbhakt and pandit patriot and saint in a way nathuram godse this industry is the progression towards that deification of a murder tushar i want to close with one final myth and uh, you should you should take some time to detail it let's talk about the words heram now heram these words have been seared into our national consciousness but you say that gandhi never actually uttered them and there's a story from gandhi's childhood behind it so tell us about it. first let me tell you about why i believe that bapu never said hey ram uh 
हे राम वॉज समथिंग दैट वॉज कॉइंड बाय प्यारेलाल प्यारेलाल नायर हु वॉज दी प्राइवेट सेक्रेटरी ऑफ बापू आफ्टर महादेव देसाई डिमाइस ही बिकेम द चीफ प्राइवेट सेक्रेटरी एंड बायोग्राफर ऑफ बापू was written very authoritative and accurate uh, history of bapu's life especially the last phase of his life who was like a shadow to him throughout those years and uh, when it was decided that the commemorative tablet would be uh, fitted at the spot where bapu fell after being hit by the bullets what had happened was that his life blood had seeped out of his wounds and saturated the earth of the garden of birla house and before the police took control of that area a lot of the people who had come to attend the prayer meeting that day took away fists full of soil that was soaked with bapu's blood a young boy actually was digging out blood soaked soil and handing it to the people wanting it so there was a big hole over there a very interesting corollary to that happened 3 years before a fistful of that blood soaked soaked soil was offered on auction in london and one of the auction houses in london successfully sold that fistful of blood soaked soil for upwards of about 45000 pounds sterling so there was that hole and it was decided that a commemorative tablet would be fitted over there to mark the spot where bapu had fallen and the date and the time of the event would be engraved on it and then it was decided that the last words would also be inscribed on it now how they came to know about the last words were were that when the bullets started hitting bapu one after the other he was heard saying ram and then he collapsed and he was for the few instance uh, uh, instance that he was uh, alive his head rested in abha's lap abha gandhi who was his grand niece in law and she throughout his life she till she passed away she always maintained that the moment she realized that bapu was not there anymore was that when that continuously diminishing chant of ram stopped she said right from the time that he fell in my lap the last few seconds of his life he was continuously chanting ram 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 and it was diminishing it was getting quieter and quieter softer and softer and finally it stopped and i realized that bapu was no more when the time came to inscribe those words pyarelal in his creative best said ram ram doesn't read very well so let's say add a hey to it and so he said you know for somebody who reads it hey ram sounds much more emotional than mere ram and so the hey was added and at that inscription on that stone and then at the memorial at rajghat they decided to write hey ram but the fact that bapu said ram because there was a established story in his childhood incident in his childhood mohan in his childhood was a very timid boy mohandas karamchand gandhi who was known as monio as a child was a very timid kind of a person a boy who was scared of everything anything possible could scare him insects creepy crawlies uh, rodents shadows darkness everything intimidated him and in those days there was no uh, electricity so in the evenings one had to go from room to room lighting lamps for uh, illumination 
and uh, the young children would be interested with the job they would be given a candle or a wick to go and light all the lamps in the rooms and so many a times mohan would be asked to do it as a prank because his brothers knew that uh, mohan was terrified of darkness so what they would do is as soon as he entered a remote dark room they would rush in behind him blow out his wick and then rush out and lock him in the dark room and that resulted in mohan becoming hysterical and uh, screaming and shouting and crying to be released and all that and the whole mohalla would come to know every evening it became a ritual of the mohalla that now mohan's uh, tantrums will start ramba who was his dai was very affectionate of mohan ramba who was the governess of the family who was bringing up mohan was very fond of mohan and she used to be very concerned she would be the one who rescued him she would rush and scold the elder brothers and free mohan from the terrifying dark room and she used to always console him and try to tell him that his fears were uh, not realistic you know he shouldn't be intimidated like this by them but mohan would always say but you know i get very scared i i get what do i do i get scared i'm terrified of the iron darkness so finally ramba told him that don't you believe there's god and that doesn't your mother tell you that god is everywhere he's around us all the time we're never alone he resides within us also so mohan says yes i believe my mother i believe what her, she says but i can't see or feel god and when i get terrified he abandons me i don't feel him with me i don't feel him inside me i don't see him anywhere and ramba realizes that the child needs some kind of a physical reassurance So she is the one who tells him in the early childhood that why don't you do this when you start getting the feeling scared start taking his name loudly and you will when you hear his name you will feel as if he is talking to you and after a few failed attempts mohan realizes that that has a very calming effect on me and he slowly overcomes his fear it's not that he doesn't get scared but as soon as he starts feeling scared he starts taking the name of rama and as his gro- he grows up that becomes his spiritual anchor he realizes when he overcomes all his fears he still realizes that ram gives him strength and so every time in the times when he's felt anxious or intimidated there are records of him resorting to the name of ram the chant of ram and towards the end of his life after arakan palace he also starts believing in the medicinal value of ram and to the last year of his life he refuses to take medical uh, medicines allopathic medicines or treatment he said ramanama is all my only panacea and cure and i'm only going to rely on that and so it is established fact that rama nama is in, as inseparable from mohan as his heart beat is and it only stops when his heart stops beating thanks tushar with that we come to the end of part 5 of this all indians matter special series on gandhi's assassination we've covered a lot of ground over the past 5 episodes from the conspiracy to the conspirators to the probe and the politics but here's the most important question Why is Gandhi relevant even today? We'll discuss that in part 6.